Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh, and today my guests are John. Hey there. And the co-host of our cousin podcast, The Secret Origins of Mint Condition, and the former owner of the, the titular store, Mint Condition, Joe. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? And today, we're going to be talking about the perennial debate, the rivalry that never seems to die, Star Trek versus Star Wars. And... I'm particularly excited about this grouping of people to have this discussion because it does seem like a very comic shop style debate that I feel like if we were to walk in mint condition on any given day, you might hear a conversation like the one we're going to be discussing. The reason I asked both of you on this podcast is because I know for all three of us, we are fans of these franchises i don't want to use that word franchise i hate that word property no that's even worse word um universes amazing creative worlds <laughs> yeah yeah i'm gonna go with universes <laughs> we're we're fans of both of these universes yeah. in, in in somewhat equal measure i mean would you agree that's a fair assessment i would say so yes oh definitely so let me start by asking both of you why is the Star Trek versus Star Wars debate a thing, and why does it refuse to die? I think it's because it's fandom, and I think fandom just lends itself to debates. Uh, as you pointed out in the introduction of the condition, uh, you could walk into that store at any time and just hear a uh, discussion going on. Well, why does Superman wear his red pants on the outside? Why is his underwear on the outside, not on the inside? I think fandom just opens itself up to these debates. I think it's healthy. I think it's uh, uh, sometimes can get a little crazy, of course, and go off the rails. But I, I just think that there are, are people that just want to test each other, test each other's knowledge, so to speak, in these different universes, maybe get them with a gotcha moment. But um, I, think it's, I think it's playful for the most part. I've never been involved in any of these type of uh, con uh, back and forth where it hasn't been playful in, in, uh, in, that, in that sense. So I would just I would just chalk it up to fandom. Well, definitely, definitely agree on the fandom thing. Anything that people feel passionate about, they're totally going to want to debate about. Uh, it becomes a little bit of a I think a, a team sport type thing. Uh, same sort of mentality of there's there, because there's a whole aesthetic to Star Wars and Star Trek. There's a there you know just you know visually alone. So there's a lot to get onto there. And also, I don't think I've ever met a fan or a sci-fi fan or a nerd of any kind who hasn't just been like chopping at the bit to go way in depth and you know about anything they're passionate about and that always leads to an argument as to which is you know which is better which which you feel is better in the moment and the funniest thing about that debate is i don't know about you two but i found myself depending on who i'm debating with taking the other side just because you want to debate it. oh yeah i think you're onto something that that ties into what joe was saying this idea that we are so into it and so enthusiastic about it. We want to talk about it. And a part of sharing in the excitement, that enthusiasm is healthy debate or unhealthy debate, as it were, depending on the person and the particular subject. Um, I also think you're right. Joe, I know you're also a huge sports fan. Oh, yes. I never caught that particular uh, sickness. I, um, I'm sickness, only a fan yes. of... Uh, <laughs> so well put. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have my own sicknesses. I'm I'm doing a uh, I'm doing a Star Wars podcast here. So so I mean, I, I have my own things. But there is kind of an element 
that I think is a healthy element, but can sometimes cross over into an unhealthy element of, you know, kind of uh, tribal instinct. Like it's fun to have a team, a home team that you root for, and it's it's fun to have friendly rivalries with certain teams and such. I think it's sort of akin to that, but that can have a dark side. Some people, they can take it a little too far. Nerd culture, I think at least back in the days when we were children, it could be pretty brutal at times. Well, when I was a kid, there's many years before you got to bullet. We didn't have nerd culture at that time. So um, the debates we had mm. when I was growing up were more sports related. And yes, that could get very, very uh, brutal. And um, could sometimes even lead to phys physical <laughs> confrontations. Yankees, Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, Jets, Giants, that type of thing. Um, this... This is something different. Uh, I, I think when you're, when, you're, when you're into Star Trek and Star Wars, especially Star Trek, and I'm not, I don't want to demean Star Wars in any way, but when you're coming to Star Trek, and if you're a real fan of Star Trek, there's a certain um, uh, understanding of the material that, that you know, uh, brings out the best in you, let's say, and uh, maybe keeps you from, uh, keeps those inner demons uh, hidden, and uh, you, don't, you don't act upon them. When you're when you get engaged in somebody uh, uh, in a conversation like this, but um, uh, yeah, I can remember going to conventions when I was a kid or in the seventies at comic book conventions, especially Star uh, DC versus Marvel. Uh, you go to Star Trek conventions, and it would come up uh, Star Trek versus Star Wars, and I would always say my answer, stock answer, would always be, "Well, I like them both because I want to experience them both." If you're if you're only on one side, you're missing out on half the fun, and that was my way of looking at it all the time. I didn't want to miss out on half the fun. Just... Well, that's because you're a good guy, Joe. I think <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I agree necessarily that Star Trek fans, because their understanding of the material leads them to keep their darker sides in check. I don't know, John. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. That, I, I've had some interesting experiences with that because uh, I, what comes to mind for me uh, wasn't a convention. It was actually summer camp. Uh, and there was one counselor. You always think of like the counselors, you know, the one who's the lifeguard or something like that. Of course, me, I find the nerdiest counselor there is who was an encyclopedia of Star Trek knowledge. So immediately I like had to befriend them. But what I thought was going to be more a sharing of common interests became uh, uh, like a quiz show. He ha I, he, he, I had to constantly prove my knowledge and my worth uh, to this person over and over again. If I, you know, and, and that was a time when I think uh, I had just started watching Next Generation. I was probably, you know, 10, 11 years old, something like that. And, oh God, I'm dating myself. And so I could name episode titles within the first 30 seconds of the episode at that point. I knew that I'd even watched everything that had been aired at that point. Uh, and so I was able to keep up pretty well. I earned his like grudging respect, but I swear we were, we were those guys. We were those stereotypes of we only approve if you reach the threshold of the knowledge and then I'll acknowledge your existence. And it was, it was comical and funny, but I realized what it was, was looking back, he definitely was socially awkward. This sure. was a way that he learned how to mediate social interaction. Uh, and so we had become, we, we had become, you know, friends for that summer. Uh, but it was really more than just the, the need for competition. It was that, Hey, I, you know, I, I have, I don't know how to, talk to people about the thing I'm really passionate with, except by, you know, going over the detail. And that inherently breeds a lot of competition. You know, who knows more, uh, who can, who, who can sort of, you know, best each other in terms of their knowledge of the lore, uh, you know, all kinds of things. That is a fascinating insight. 
And I think you're exactly right because that uh, dynamic you you describe, I'm I'm very uh, familiar with, and I'm I'm ashamed to say I've been on on both sides of it in my youth. I think there's something about, especially in quote unquote nerd culture, such as it was back in the '90s. Not to get too far on a tangent, it was very hard to reconcile nerd culture with like accepted versions of masculinity, right? And I think that as a side effect of that, if you were sort of the big shot in your own niche, the big fish in the small pond, there was a sort of a writ small kind of a masculine dominance or like a pissing contest for lack of a better word, like to show <laughs> who was who was the uh, the bigger, more knowledgeable fan, right? Do you connect with what I'm saying or does that seem completely off? Yeah, that 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 goes with my lived experience with it, seeing it, you know, particularly in in the 90s, uh, it was definitely uh, uh, if if you didn't have access to other ways of uh, you know sort of trying to be the king of the hill, uh, this could definitely be a way of doing that. Uh, and uh, you know, so, and sometimes healthily, and then and then you get to that point where it gets a little toxic, and you're like, all right, so and so is going way overboard of their knowledge, but it's no longer fun anymore. Right, exactly. Um, when it's no longer fun is when it becomes yeah, a problem. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I've experienced that with Star Star Trek versus Star Wars, but as I said earlier. I did experience that, especially in the seventies, at uh, at comic conventions, creation conventions, and the New York Comic Con, with the whole DC Marvel thing. That was that was constantly in your face, and you had to prove yourself many many times over at, 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 uh, in those settings. Yes. Yeah, you know, it is really, I mean, was hopefully the past tense. You know, really a um, kind of. Uh, way that masculinity i think presented itself in that form it's sort of the outcasts from quote unquote regular society you know mm -hmm. we had our little spot over here like our conventions i went to star trek conventions so i encountered all of that um at a very young age and it was very tricky figuring out how to navigate that sort of stuff i mean to me what was appealing about star trek and star wars was this sense of community and coming together over shared interests and shared passions and having someone or someone's to share it with. And when you're finding those communities at the same time that you're finding yourself, it kind of manifests in all of these weird, interesting ways, one of which is Star Trek versus Star Wars. I wanna ask you guys, I wanna know what your relationship is with Star Trek and Star Wars and how they entered your life. Well, I was, I was, I was aware of Star Trek in the 60s. Let's see, when it first premiered, I guess it was 10, 1966. I never really got, got into it and watched it. I'd check it out once in a while. But then in the fall of 1970, in the local WPIX channel, channel 11. Uh, yeah, Pix 11. Yeah, Pix 11. Oh, you got out of New York. Pix yep. 11, Yankee game, Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Uh, they started rerunning Star Trek. And my first episode was Devil in the Dark. And, you know, with the Horde. Classic. And it's a great episode because my idea of science fiction was bug-eyed monsters. Well, here was a bug-eyed monster killing these these um these miners but then we find out it's a mother and she's protecting her young and it's like whoa this really blew me i was about 15 at the time this really opened my eyes to what science fiction could really be and 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 the, and the humanity that, that that could be uh injected into science fiction so uh that was my that was my coming of age with um uh, star trek and star wars was very simple it was i was there the first day it came it premiered in new york on may 25th 1975, uh, the buzz was all around. I had to be there. And um, when that ship came over the screen and just, you know, 
kept going on and on and on and everybody was in awe and it didn't stop. It was a two hour ride of just a roller coaster ride of fun. And we'd never seen anything like this on the screen before, you know? So it was, um, those are my, that's how, that's how I came to, uh, Star Trek and Star Wars. That's interesting. Um, just out of curiosity. So you remember, because I think I read somewhere, uh, you know, among some sci-fi fandom prior to Star Wars coming out, there was some eye rolling at the title Star Wars. Like it sort of like seemed, you know, maybe kind of silly to some people or they were like, I don't know what this is about. Do you recall anything like that or I not think, really? I think there was some eye rolling at it that it was called Star Wars and they might be either mocking Star Trek or they were ripping off Star Trek. I think that's where I remember that. Yeah. Some articles that were in the papers at the time. Yes. So here we go. Even from, from yeah, so yeah, from the inside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, started, it started at the beginning. Yes. Well, that's fascinating. So John, what about you? What's your history with these, these universes? And so I can't point to the moment I first watched Star Trek though. I, my earliest memory that I can recall right now was on a vacation in second grade and it was Star Trek's probably just airing in syndication and it scared me half to death. It was the episode <laughs> where they all encountered a ship where the people had some sort of plague and their skin turned purplish. Oh, that's so many episodes, John. It's so many episodes. I, you gotta be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a cure at the very end, of course, but it scared, it scared me half to death. I was just like, yeah. that, that was, but I was also really intrigued. And I, and I think that's when I first saw Star Trek, but what connected me to Star Trek was about a year or two afterwards. And it was a, uh, 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 an aunt of mine who's, you know, a family friend who we call an aunt and she was really an influential figure. You know, there's this wonderful person in my youth and she introduced my brother and I to it, uh, when we were visiting and it was both at the same time, actually. So, um, one night it had been. Uh, uh, Star Wars, and the other night it was Star Trek Four: The Voyage oh, Home. Oh, so I sort of got a double dose. And whether it was the infectious enthusiasm uh, uh, from her about this, or whether it was just that hey, we were little kids and we were being sent off into the den to watch shows, so we weren't distract, you know, distracting all the adults, <laughs> so we were totally focused on that. And it was our own little world. It clicked, and both of them uh, at sort of at the same time, uh, though though they evolved in very different ways for me. So you know. I, I think the more memorable at that point was visually was actually Star Trek four. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why I connected with it in, in a way that made me think, uh, you know, oh, this, this is something. And there might've been some other, you know, references to the times since it was brand new at that point, Star Wars had been out for a while. Uh, but at the same time, it was the first Star Wars movie and I was getting the hints dropped at me that, oh, you don't know who Luke's father is yet. And uh -huh. she kept on teasing me with that and kept that secret from me for months before I got the chance to see Empire Strikes Back. And then that was when Star Wars clicked with me. It was Empire Strikes Back. It was actually difficult to watch because it was darker. It was, it, mm -hmm. it, it was uh, uh, not as, uh, uh, as you know, clear-cut heroes win the day at all uh, compared to the first film. But that revelation, when, when somebody has actually actively built that up in you, uh, who is Luke's father? This is gonna be really intense. You're not gonna believe it. And then you see it on screen. Oh, mind, mind blown. So that again, just like immediately transported me into that world. And then I started doing it on my own. I started, you know, searching out, you know, both, both genres, you know, both shows uh, and movies a lot. Uh, at that point, uh, the only way to watch Star Wars would have been on VHS. So I had to go get the tapes, you know, Star Trek was in syndication all over the place, uh, mm -hmm. so that was a little more accessible. Uh, and, and I would also encounter it a little more, you know, sort of on a random basis. 
So I, I think that's why Star Trek was a little more influential uh, at that point. Um, but it was, both of them just blew my mind for different reasons, and I was never the same after them. Well, that's very interesting to me that you single out Star Trek Four in particular, um, uh, because um, that was, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, also the one that really hooked me onto Star Trek. I had been watching Next Gen in syndication, and um, I would encounter, I believe at the time, in the very early 90s, um, a WPIX would run the original series, I think midnight on Sundays or yep. something like that. It was harder for me to see by virtue of the fact that I was, you know, seven or eight years old and I was past my bedtime. Uh, whereas Next Gen was first run and it was new and it was on at a more reasonable hour. My first memory of Star Trek is, do you remember they had a 25th anniversary special that they televised in like 1991? And I think mm -hmm. they later released it on video. I caught a broadcast of that. I don't know if it was the original broadcast of that or if it was a rerun. And I remember there was a rainstorm that was going on outside. So uh, the picture was very fuzzy because I guess it was from the antenna on, on the roof of our house. That I was, and I remember we lost our electricity and then it came back. And so I kept on losing this, this thing that I was watching. And I just remember I was so captivated because I was really getting the sense. I mean, like I said before, the way that Star Trek was being presented to me was this huge universe with this history and all of these characters and all of these great things about it and all of these fans. And that was sort of, to mix my metaphors, my first step into a larger world. And I immediately sought out everything Star Trek, which is, as John said, that was very easy to do at the time because it was all over television. And then I specifically sought Star Wars out because I would go to the conventions. I would go to like the comic shop and see Starlog on the rack and and the Barnes and Noble and see Cinefantastique and all those. And where you saw Star Trek, you would also see this thing called Star Wars. So I became aware that there was this other star thing and it seemed to always show up where Star Trek showed up. So I went and I sought it out. I believe I rented the VHS. John, I don't know if you remember Salem Drugs used to rent videotapes. Oh, yes. You, oh, yeah, oh yes. yes. I remember well. Mm -hmm. I believe that that my first Star Wars viewing was from Salem Drugs VHS copy of Star Wars. That's wow. where I rented Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And you remember they had an inflatable submarine, the Red October, hanging oh over their VHS collection. Ooh, really? You, I, really I, haven't thought, I haven't thought about that in what a great movie. That is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that. No. Yeah. Wow. You just blew my mind. I don't know if you guys remember this experience, but when you liked a movie, you would keep on renting it and renting it and renting it until mm -hmm. you realized, okay, maybe I should just shell out the money at the time, like $30 or whatever it was to buy a videotape. <laughs> I, I definitely remember that. My, the first movie I ever read with my blockbuster card was Young Frankenstein. And I just kept renting it and renting it and renting it. I couldn't stop myself. And finally I did break down and then bought a copy of it. Yes. So yeah, so I did that with the Star Wars movies until... I guess my parents were sick of renting the same movie and over and over again. And they finally just broke down and, and bought me the box sets. What was something that you got out of Star Trek that you did not get out of Star Wars and, and vice versa? Like, what are the things that you go to one for versus the other? Well, uh, in the time period, you, 
that you guys uh, grew up in in the 80s and in the 90s, there was tons of Star Trek comic books too. Being a big oh, comic, yeah. Right? I mean, they were all, you know, at that point, uh, DC, I think, had gotten the rights and they did a great job. They, they even did a Star Trek annual that was um, a love story. Scotty finally falls in love. And it's penciled by my favorite Superman artist of all time, Kurt Swan. I remember buying multiple copies. I think I still have two copies of that in my collection. I love that book. But yeah, there was there was so much other Star Trek to consume. Um, wasn't wasn't until later later years that the Star Wars comic books uh, became uh, became much more uh, prevalent. So yeah, I got uh, that's what I got. You know, physically out of Star Trek, but uh, but. For me, Star Trek was always the, uh, you know, the more, I hate to say this, and I'm not, and this is not, not casting any shade towards Star Wars, but Star Trek was always the more cerebral content. It was the more, it was the more character-driven content. And, I, uh, you know, stories about not only humans, but aliens, as it's Star, Star Wars, of course, but to me, Star Trek just, that was the hook for me with Star Trek. It was so character-driven. And uh, I think... Uh, that's what uh, drew me into it even further. And the comic books helped. They were so well written. I would say something similar about Star Star Trek. The, the cerebral quality definitely appealed to me, uh, particularly at that point in my life. It was sort of a gateway into a lot of uh, um, concepts of science and space travel and things that humanity could achieve. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, that was definitely something that it gave me that Star Wars didn't quite have because Star Wars was a fantasy. But right. on the flip side of that, that's what Star Wars gave me. It gave me an entirely different universe. And, and, and that was actually the brilliance of that beginning of Star Wars. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. First beat, set it up. This isn't your world. This isn't the, this isn't the universe you know. This isn't the life you know. Uh, this, you know even though everybody looks like you that's a human, uh, it's, it's going to be completely different. So you, you were able to transport yourself out of it. And you got to have a, a fantasy experience there that wasn't, uh, that wasn't weighed down by all of your preconceptions of what humanity might be in the future or might not be, it, it could be its own thing. And so it, it was an adventure like none other. And that's, that's what I got from Star Wars was this just incredible sense of adventure, this incredible sense of uh, uh, newness. Uh, 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 for me, that was, there was a lot of adrenaline at different scenes, you know, and, and the, the emotional impact I think was heightened because of that. So, you know, you felt when, Obi-Wan, you know, gets cut down, spoiler alert. Um, you know, I was devastated, you know, look in there, but I was devastated. It's like, you can't do that. That's not how it's supposed to happen. And I'm not realizing until later, that's exactly how it's supposed to happen in stories like that. But it, it hit me. So I had a much more emotional reaction to Star Wars than I did to Star Trek, at least on that, you know, like visceral level of that, you know, watching it in real time sense. And Star Trek had the effect that's more like a, well, it's the other kind of drug. It's a drug that has a long-lasting effects. That's right. the one that I go back to a few days later. I'm like, huh, oh, wait a second. What does that really mean? You know, what impact does that have on my thinking? I see something in the world that reminds me of that uh, or, or maybe expanded out my thinking and I see something in a different way. Uh, so they definitely brought two different experiences to it, but, they, uh, but those two experiences didn't really overlap. There are two things that you touched on that I think are the key 
distinctions between Star Wars and Star Trek and how they work in different ways. The first one is the more cerebral science approach of Star Trek versus the fantasy kind of more mythic approach of Star Wars. And what that's really saying is, you know, Star Trek is supposed to be our future. Star Wars is really kind of an idealized, imagined, you know, fairy tale. You know, there's no expectation that this is actually how the world works or will work one day. It's funny, you mentioned a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. There's an Allen Ginsberg quote, uh, the poet, that when he saw Star Wars for the first time in 1977, he saw the title card a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And his first thought was, oh, thank God, I don't have to worry about it then. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> the other thing, John, that you said, how Star Wars was or uh, Star Trek, rather, was the drug that sort of has the long-lasting effect versus Star Wars. I think that also speaks to, you know, obviously now the lines are a little blurred, but the dominant form of Star Trek, Star Trek is an episodic TV series, and Star Wars is or was a handful of, of feature films. And the relationship that you have with a feature film, I mean, even a series of feature films versus a show that, you know, there's a new adventure every week that comes on in your living room. And obviously the way most of us experience Star Wars most of the time was also on the same TV set in the same living room. But I think you understand what I'm saying. The way that Star Wars is kind of an event, a larger than life event where Star Trek most of the time was smaller, more accessible and with you for more of the time. Makes, yes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Star, Star Trek is um, a nightly uh, dinner and Star Wars is a, is a grand, a big banquet, so to speak, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And actually along those lines, Joe, I think you may have some thoughts about this. You know, one of the similarities, I think there's a good analogy to be made because both Star Trek and Star Wars have Westerns in mm. their their DNA. And for Star Trek, I think the Western influence is really from television Westerns. I mean, obviously, Gene Roddenberry, very famously, his elevator pitch for Star Trek was Wagon Train to the Stars. Exactly. And, and I would also argue that Have Gun Will Travel, which Gene Roddenberry wrote many, many episodes for, I would argue is actually kind of a progenitor of the original Star Trek. I think if you take Paladin and you split him into three people, you get Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Wow, that's Totally that, but that's, that's great. Wow. And that same sense of, you know, right and wrong and and justice and, you know, traveling around to to do good and to to help people in need, I think there's an argument to be made. You could draw a straight line from Have Gun Will Travel to the original Star Trek. And the flip side of that is I think Star Wars, that's influenced not by TV westerns, but the cinematic westerns, like the John Ford westerns, the the uh, the cinemascope westerns. Definitely agree with that. And, and um, Star Wars being influenced by John Ford, yes. And then you could also uh, throw in the spaghetti westerns too. You know, all all, all those, oh for sure without a doubt, and without without the uh, blood and guts spilling everywhere on the screen. But um, yeah, uh, I think uh, Star Wars has much much more uh, owes itself. It's origin much more to uh, to westerns, but they they both they both come from that that uh, that genre. And I think, um, as you guys know, I'm a big a big west fan of westerns. And um, I believe it was on your second episode, uh, Josh, uh, when you were talking about Boba Fett. I think you did mention the Searchers. 
uh, in, yes. in, in, when you were talking about um, all the Fed, and I found that fascinating. And I, wow, yeah, it's, oh, I can see this, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, it's all there. It's, it's uh, wonderfully uh, crafted. Uh, I joined the hell out of Bubba Fett, by the way. I, I just finished it the other night. That, that oh, great. Was, yeah. That final episode was great. Uh, but um, Westerns, yes, um, especially Star Wars. There's so much. There's, I mean, so much. To, oh, you know, there's so much uh, of the tropes and, and, the, uh, and the settings, uh, the expanse, the great expanse in, 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 in uh, uh, Tatooine, the desert is, uh, you know. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's classic Western. Yeah, it's classic it's Western. It's Monument Valley without the monuments. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. Just hearing you talk, what's interesting is that I think Star Trek is really inspired by sort of the the format of the Western on TV and sort of transposes a lot of, I say tropes, like not in a, a derisive way. I mean, like it uses a lot of the format and the manner of storytelling and just sets it into the future. Whereas Star Wars, I think, is a little more literal about it. You have the iconography and and the visuals are a little more, the influences are a little more literal in Star Wars. Yes. At least in my opinion, I think Star Wars is kind of inseparable from its cinematic style. Whereas Star Trek, I think the style is almost, I don't want to say that it's incidental because it's not. Obviously, it does have a very distinctive style that has developed and solidified over time. And a lot of it is iconic in its own right. But it was sort of incidental. It was sort of secondary to the storytelling. And they did whatever they had to do to get the, the point of the story across. Whereas I think Star Wars was conceived to be a visual, auditory, cinematic experience. And you can't really separate the spectacle of that from the content. Whereas with Star Trek, I think, like you were saying, it is a little more cerebral. It is a little less flashy. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, Star, some great Star Trek episodes were quote-unquote ship episodes, right? Uh, I'm thinking of um, Next Generation Measure of a Man, when, when uh, Starfleet basically mm. tried to repossess uh, Mr. Data, and that's a ship episode. We, we had plenty of those in Star Trek because they didn't have much of a budget, so they had, to do a, they had to do ship episodes. But yeah, Star Wars relies so much on the setting. We talked about this on uh, on. on podcast james and i and chris about how setting is is, is so instrumental to the westerns and it was obviously it's so instrumental to, to star wars you know uh it's uh so yeah it, it, it owes itself much more to the cinematic uh uh technique and the cinema and the cinematic uh sense of you're gonna you're gonna see these grand uh, and these operatic settings in star wars and, and star trek doesn't need that it doesn't go for that and uh it's not what it's really about it's so interesting that there, there, there's always the idea that the medium is the message but in this case what i mean it, what we're really seeing is, is, is that where it started defined how how the storytelling would unfold how the visuals would unfold and that visual aesthetic from star wars i mean that that's unforgettable the first those first three films i mean the, the, the people involved in that that may be what i associate most with star wars uh having when i first saw it was the aesthetic, because of course George Lucas and his uh, uh, brilliance at that era retained the merchandising rights, got all the toys mm -hmm. out there, got all the things. So, you, so, so that style, the, the, every, you saw it everywhere. The same way that we're talking about how Star Trek was omnipresent in terms of uh, shows and syndication and um, comic books. Star Wars had the toys everywhere. 
even even into the 90s, the toys were still coming out in various forms. So once they established that aesthetic, that art form, you could identify it wherever you want and you'd be like, oh, that's Star Wars. I know what that is. And immediately you could tell your own story uh, when you see the action figure of, you know, Luke Skywalker right there or, you know, an ad at next there. Like, everything would come back, would, would come back uh, to that. Star Trek um, had that for moments. The Enterprise is iconic. Uh, that that design, what it is, you see the Enterprise, you know exactly what it is. But the rest of it is identifiable, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, define an entire culture. And you can do you can do something else if you want to, and still be Star Trek uh, without having to adhere to every aesthetic rule. And I think that's where a lot of uh, uh, fans of our age and older got a little bit. Well, how how to, how to put it nicely? We had some problems with episode one uh, because Lucas wanted to create something new. He said, I'm going back. It's a prequel, but I'm going to do, do it with brand new technology, brand new special effects. And it was almost jarring because it was cool, but it, it was like he was throwing out everything from episodes four through six mm, uh, right. artistically. And uh, I'm totally for him exploring his vision and, and, and giving us something new, but it didn't feel initially like Star Wars. Of course, it felt like Star Wars to everybody whose first Star Wars was episode one. Right. And for them, that was Star Wars completely and totally. Episodes one through three, and they would see that wherever they went, you know, when they go to the toy store or to somewhere else and seeing the merchandising, immediately were connected with that again. So uh, every generation of Star Wars gave that to us, which is why it's so interesting now that Star Wars in its current iteration is hearkening back to the beginning. And almost every show that it's doing, uh, Mandalorian, Boba Fett, they're all going back to that original aesthetic. The irony there, though, is that now Star Wars is a bunch of TV shows. Yeah, sure. yeah. And I would say that Star Trek, the aesthetic of new Star Trek, really owes a lot to Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't disagree, especially uh, the newer shows really right. have a ha have a Star Wars feel to them. And I don't know if anybody's watched, um, not many people have watched it, but they Nickelodeon produced Star Trek Prodigy. I've seen some animated, of it. I've seen it. And, but it is animated in a style that is almost, you know, uh, you know, out of the playbook of Star Wars Clone Wars. Interesting. And so when you first see it, you might think, oh, wait, this is, is this, which one am I watching? You get a little confused for a second. And then you realize that it very quickly works. But the storytelling is definitely closer to Star Wars. And it's enjoyable, but it's, I, I was almost, you know, thrown for a loop with it. I watched the first episode of Star Trek Prodigy, and while I was enjoying it, I had that exact same thought. I was like, this is more like Star Wars. It sort of really made me think, when you break it down, what is Star Trek? What is in its DNA? And obviously, it's it's very many things, and you can emphasize certain parts of it and get one kind of Star Trek and, and certain other parts and get a different kind of Star Trek. And I think, frankly, that's the the strategy that uh, the two franchises are both of them are taking now in their own way the content arms race that we live in the way to make more 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 is you make sort of different flavors for everybody so you're getting all kinds of star wars shows all kinds of star trek shows which um speaking of star wars versus star trek on the date that we're recording this yesterday they released the trailer for obi-wan kenobi the long-awaited series and long-awaited trailer but paramount plus also released the first teaser for strange new world star trek oh, i didn't know that uh, strange new exactly exactly, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was it was just so funny to me 
how these two franchises are in conversation and influencing each other all the time. The teaser for Strange New Worlds, I thought, was excellent. It got me very excited. I'm very hyped for that show. I had I had goosebumps for that. And the yeah, funny really? thing is, goosebumps, wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was good. And 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 full on like full on admission. So you know, any biases aside, watching both of those trailers, I saw the Obi Wan, uh, uh, the Kenobi first. And I was like, this looks really cool, but it didn't, uh, it didn't grab me the same way. I was like, oh, I'm totally psyched to watch that. Then I waited in Strange New Worlds. I was like, okay, definitely not quite the Disney budget um, from what they were, at least from what they were, it's a really cool stuff from they were showing, but it wasn't, uh, Kenobi looked like it was a movie level budget. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Going to be spread over, you know, into a miniseries. Um, but Strange New Worlds, it tapped into the Star Trek-ness that, I love a lot of what's out there right now, but it, it was just something that I don't think I've seen in a long time that we got a, a, a taste of in, yes. episode, in season two of Discovery when Captain Pike took command. And it was that taste of the original series that I didn't realize we hadn't really had in a long, long time. And it was that sort of wide-eyed optimism mixed with pragmatism. Like he, he, he knew what he was doing as captain. He wasn't, mm -hmm. he wasn't naive at all, but... He was just, oh, I want to get there, out there and explore. And there'll always be some, some good that'll come out of what we encounter. And exactly. you can, my hope for this new show is that it does capture that sense of adventure, that sense of excitement of new things, diversity. And, and honestly, that was one of the strong points of, of Star Trek and contrast to the original Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, sort of is that Star Trek was very serialized. So each episode was, you know, its own story. You could watch it on its own and then be done with it and say, hey, that was a really cool experience. And I love the new shows, but they are really taking the Bowser Galactica lost playbook and oh, God, making every season a whole arc. And right. each episode is almost a teaser for the next episode because you're waiting to find out what the next chapter is. And that's something that original Star Trek had um, which is that you could just watch an episode and be completely satisfied. It was a meal unto itself. And Star Wars had the longer going story. Each movie was uh, its own thing, except Empire there. Empire left you so hungry for more with that ending that you were desperate. You know, I mean, I can't believe, John, how, you, how, did, how did you live between those, those two movies <laughs> waiting for them to come out? Um, you know, what happens? What, what, what happens to Han Solo? You know, that would have drove, driven me crazy. And... But that what Star Wars had the sense of like the universe, there's still more to come, there's still more going on, and the story is not yet over, where Star Trek was just episodic. And I'm actually looking forward to a little bit of that original Star Trek feel where it is going to be more episodic again, because we, we still have another season of Picard, season three will come out next year, uh, I think more Discovery, so we're going to have plenty of the long story arc stuff to come. But I really want to experience what this is going to be. I'm looking For sure. forward to that. I'm looking forward to one and done. So I used to call them one and done's back in the day. And that's how most TV was in the sixties and seventies, one and done's. And if there was a special episode or a big story continued next week and you'd, Oh no, I can't wait a week for this. Oh, I got something to do. I don't want to be home. How am I going to see it? I'll wait for the summer reruns. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm definitely um, down for the, uh, the new Star Trek uh, discovery. I'm, I'm hoping it's uh uh, it, uh, I mean, it, this I believe this is going to take place. What about five years before? Um, Kirk yeah, before the original uh, series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We kind of know that, how it's going to yeah. end because you know we we know that uh, what um, happens to Captain Pike. We know what happens to Captain Pike exactly. So you actually reminded me of something. I think you're touching on something. Something that's in the DNA of Star Trek and Star Wars. I mean, again, it 
comes down to the medium defines it to a large, a large degree. Star Trek was always episodic. Star Trek in its own way was like kind of more akin to an anthology series with recurring characters and settings exactly. where like, you know, one week you might be in the middle of a comedy. The next week you might be in a, you know, a courtroom drama. The next week you might have that, that swashbuckling you know adventure romp the variability of the kinds of stories was a part of what made star trek star trek right whereas star wars it was very clear that this was one sort of moment in this longer continuum of ongoing story like in fact the original conceit for the movie star wars when it was only you know one movie was this idea that you would walk in and it would say episode four. And the idea was it was supposed to be like recreating the sense of walking into a like matinee serial, not having seen the other parts. So that by design was this is a larger story that all means something. And then and then obviously when we get into Empire, I mean, I love Empire Strikes Back. But the thing about that movie is that you need the other films for it to be most effective. It does not stand on its own. It demands a follow up. It demands a follow up. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is interesting how even though Star Trek was first, I feel like Star Wars is always influencing Star Trek. And I don't really know that Star Trek really has influenced Star Wars at all. Am I wrong about that? That's an interesting question, because I, I was thinking about that when these two trailers came out uh, yesterday and uh, Star Wars still felt very Star Wars. It was it was very much in line with it, whereas I feel like Star Trek has gone a, a bunch of different routes. Um I think the only the only major thing that I can think of Star Wars wise uh, is in the books. You know, mm. a lot of the a lot of the you know now uh, uh, you know now not canon books that came out in the '90s and 2000s. Uh, ex some of them really did feel like Star Trek. They could get very cerebral. They could get very uh, uh, you know um, uh, uh, very very you know character driven in a way that uh, uh, Star Trek would handle it. And maybe that was because it was in book format versus versus movies, and it wasn't uh, you know being produced by some of the same teams of people. But uh, Star Trek it, it is always handled by different people in each iteration. A different team comes in, different producers, right. and they have their own ideas, their own vision, uh, where they're trying to you know you know keep the original idea of Gene Roddenberry, but it's but it's their it's their own thing now. Um, and Star Wars is George Lucas episodes one through six and then you know it's basically handed off to kathleen kennedy and her chosen directors and writers uh within within a construct of rules that they set at disney what you were talking about before i'm realizing is that the star wars aesthetic that cinematic aesthetic that that visual aesthetic the design language right the iconography that is constant that is still there it uh, retains all of that whereas star trek has reinvented its aesthetic so many times whether you're talking about jumping from the original series to the motion picture and the films and then from the films to next generation and then there was one aesthetic that basically went from 1987 till 2005 from next generation to uh to star trek enterprise and then it reinvents itself again with J.J. Abrams' Star Trek in 2009, which again, I think was influenced a lot from the visual aesthetic of Star Wars. And then now you have all of these different Star Trek shows that are completely different or at least trying to uh, distinguish themselves aesthetically. Whereas I think the aesthetic of Star Wars, again, I think is 
sort of a key component of what makes Star Wars Star Wars. And I think you see that in the aesthetic of the the different iterations of both of the franchises. Yeah, and, and the current Star Trek shows once uh, once um, uh, the new the new one premieres, you'll have three different Star Trek shows uh, that are set in different time, different different centuries, right? Uh, so right. that's that's interesting, and, and that's another thing. That's another thing that you didn't talk about, but time travel is so is so uh, endemic to Star Trek. And seemingly, and not and not Star Wars, and I think that allows it to reinvent itself uh, because you can say, "All right, this takes place in the 23rd century. This takes place in the 32nd century. This takes we had the 32nd century at one point. This is taking place in the 30, 39th century, or this is taking place in the 24th century. We're all over the place, but wherever we are, it fits and it works. And uh, I yeah. think that's I think that's the the, the beauty of Star in, in one of the best qualities of Star Trek. It's the way it, it fits into different time periods. Sure. Well, that also speaks to the fact that Star Trek is really more science fiction. And, mm -hmm. and the notion of time travel is a very science fiction idea. I mean, it's also a fantasy idea, but I think less so because most time travel stories rely on some sort of a device, some sort of a technology that allows for the thing to happen like you know whereas before the advent of science fiction like you would get things like i don't know a yankee in king arthur's court mark twain where like i think i think the guy he, he gets knocked on the head or something and then he wakes up and he's back in time or something like that <laughs> um, yes. but yeah i think you're right i think the other thing too is that you know once again star trek is really about exploring our real future so what time travel allows you to do is it allows you to comment on where humanity has been and where it's going. You know, I'm thinking of episodes like obviously City on the Edge of Forever mm. and the DS9 two-parter where they go to uh, the early 21st century and it's about homelessness. And it's sort of like implicit in Star Trek is the idea that our future is bright, but that it may, it may get worse before it gets better. And they mean that in a literal way, whereas Star Wars is sort of more metaphorical because it's not our world. That's something also about Star Wars that it's not our world, but it is very much us. And, yes. and I remember uh, when I first encountered this idea, uh, it was actually my parents mentioning it to me. There was some like morning show segment on Star Wars. I don't remember the year. I just remember I was a kid. And it was some commentator talking about Star Wars. And it was the first time I heard somebody talk about the link between mythology, archetypes, Joseph Campbell, and Star Wars. And mm. what I assumed at that point was it was just some, it was more like a critic's review and he was putting a lot of his own ideas into like how he interpreted Star Wars. What I didn't realize was that's actually what Star Wars was. Joseph Campbell was, you know, consulting with George Lucas on the production of the first film that those ideas, uh, and, and, and for, for, for a professor, for those of you who aren't familiar, he, was, he sort of had this grand unified theory of mythology that arc, certain archetypes and stories uh, uh, you know, across cultures and different eras in our own history with things that he really summarized in one of his concepts of the hero's journey. So there were these ways of communicating grand notions, uh, 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 typically through storytelling, uh, fairy tales, uh, uh, mythology, whatever it might be. And Star Wars was the, an on-screen cinematic representation of that in a galaxy a long time ago, far, far away. And it, it was just really a cool thing to hear that. And when I looked into it more, I said, yeah, this, this totally makes sense now. It totally fits. So it is us. It's communicating to a part 
on a, on a, on a deep, you know, archetype yes. level, but without saying this is literally you. The same way we might look at a, you know the the uh, you know mythology of ancient Greece. There's a lot to connect to there. But today we're not going around well hey, because you know Zeus was really going to do that to me or something like that. You're not right. approaching it on that level, uh, but it's just as impactful. No, exactly. It's not a literal history, although it's sort of it's it's sort of a map. It's sort of a depiction of of our interiority, right? Of sort of the uh, the of kind of the history of or the journey that we all take inside ourselves through our lives and together in communities. How we how we live together and how how we fight uh, with one another. And it's not a literal history. It's sort of a rendering of kind of an intellectual and and spiritual tradition or trajectory i guess as yeah, i, I mean, sound so, I sound it's, so it's no coincidence as, <laughs> as, as people joke about it but you know people who created you know incorporated jedi as a religion you know and got a right. certificate for it in nonprofit status and everything but it's because that's what it is meant to connect with uh is, is a very you know uh, uh spiritual component on that level for what you know what does a person go through uh, how do they, you know, go through the different stages of their life? And that was Luke Skywalker, who, of course, later was featured in an edition of Hero of a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. On right. the cover sometime in the 80s, they used of one of the pictures, there was Luke Skywalker. Like, aha, so, that, so that, that's what he was meant to represent. Um, and, and maybe that's why Star Wars has, what I, well, what I consider is a wider appeal than Star Trek. I think it has a bigger a bigger net to cast when when they have a new show coming out or a movie because it it was accessible to a lot more people and maybe because it spoke to us on a more uh, 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 accessible level even if we couldn't verbalize what that level was it's because it was it was literally designed to do that uh, and that goes back to I think what you said also about some of the cinematic westerns they spoke to people uh, uh, in those terms too and I think that's also one of the great things about feature films is they only have a few hours to do it so they got to get in you real quick that you know on, on a deep level to connect with you uh whereas a tv show had can can go with a slow burn over time you catch right. an episode here or there you start to like the characters and you know a year in you say hey i really like this i really like this show i have good fond memories of it movies only got one shot right yeah right. star star wars works on, on a visceral level star trek is more of an extrapolation uh, Star Trek, and I, and and this, I guess, is probably why I like Star Trek more than Star Wars. For me, Star Trek works because it holds a mirror up to to your to a not only the individual but to society, and it dares you to look yourself in the face and how you, as an individual, will live your lives in a society and how you're going to treat those people that you meet every day in that society. How you you know, you know the golden rules you want to you want to do unto others, you do unto yourself. But I mean, Star Trek was. Is, is always rife with those type of stories. And um, so, and it fit the, and the extrapolation fits with the whole idea of Star Trek, Star Trek because it's about exploration. Yes, it's, it's exploring right. the galaxy, but it's also exploring what's inside of you and what you bring with you, uh, you know, as you, as you go deeper out, as you go from quadrant to quadrant, as you go deeper inside yourself and you realize who you are and how you're going to live your life and until, it's, until it's fullest. So, um, that's why Star Trek always speaks to me. Absolutely. To be super reductive and, and, and feel free to, to disagree if you disagree. But again, to be super reductive, Star Trek lives in your head. Star Wars lives in your heart. I would agree with that. 
Yes. Obviously, Star Trek also lives in our hearts and Star Wars mm -hmm. also lives in our heads. Right. Oh, but to be but, super reductive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Star Trek is more cerebral. It's, you know, more of like a more of a thinking man's franchise versus where, you know, Star Wars really gets under your skin and tugs the heartstrings and, you know, works on you on a level that you're that's maybe subconscious. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. yeah, I, yeah, I mean, what other TV show before Star Trek ever used the word logic? And to, and to, to, to right, <laughs> yeah, think about I, that. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a good and so, point. And uh, so all of a sudden we're, we're introduced to logic and, and, and how important it is. You know, there was those constant battles between Spock and McCoy. And Kirk was using, it had to be the middle ground. But uh, yes, Star Trek speaks to um, pragmatism and secularism, I guess, and where, where Star Wars speaks to more religious and mysticism. So, um, boy, they both speak to me. And I, I love them both. But Star Trek a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you you can get you can get so much from both of them. I love your user of mysticism right there. That is something that Star Wars really, when it does it well, it does it really well because the Jedi are more than just ethical lightsabers. All of a sudden, they are these spiritual, uh, 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 you know, guides and teachers. You know, that's that's what Yoda is in Empire Strikes Back. He is contrary to what you might have initially thought in the first film of the Jedi. He's this little little green dude who is incredibly <laughs> wise and leaves you open to a whole other world that you didn't think you were going to be open to in the, you know, in, in the beginning. And that was you know Luke's journey, but it's also the journey of of the viewer. Even if some of those phrases are you know what we might consider common wisdom, they were again they were being rephrased as you do in mythology in a new environment, so it feels a little bit new. There was something in the Kenobi trailer yesterday, part of the voiceover that I'm assuming is actual dialogue from the show, but it really had a profound impact on me in an unexpected way. I guess the the Grand Inquisitor character, he says something to the effect of their compassion leaves a trail, right? Mm. And what he meant was that they can't help themselves. They are going to get involved and they're going to meddle. And that's how we find them, right? I mean, that's how we find the Jedi. But the way that I read it, what that also means is that small acts of compassion reverberate through the world. Like you do something for somebody else or you intervene on someone's behalf or you stand up. And even if that only affects one person, they will then go on and influence others and the idea that compassion leaves a trail. I don't know if it was the state of mind I was in um, or something, but that, that, that idea, that concept really hit me in a really visceral way that I found, you know, very moving and a very lovely idea. Ironically, it was um, being spoken by a villain um, and being described as a weakness. But I heard that and I was like, wow. But that's what Star Wars does yeah. really well. Yes, that yes. really take good versus evil and make it, uh, a, you know, accessible and interesting. And you feel something from it because yeah, that's, that's the villain saying that and you want to, you want to, you, you want to scream back at him. No, but that's the way it should be. Compassion yeah. should be the way of it. And he's, he's trying to portray it as a weakness. And, uh, and certainly Star Trek had morality plays left and right, but you said it's visceral. You, you, you feel it on an individual level and you're talking about those individual acts of compassion that I think. That's what goes with like where my next thought is, but it, 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 it talks to this too, is that Star Wars speaks to individual actions. It speaks to the individual experience. You know, mm. you're, you're focusing on the individual experience of each one of those characters in the films uh, and the new shows largely center on one or a handful of people and what they're going through. Star Trek, by contrast, had 
your cast of characters. But the focus was on the community, the community yes. on the ship, the community of the Federation, the community of the people, the communities they were encountering. That was the word, that's the word that keeps them coming back to me with Star Trek is that it's about how do these individuals interact with a larger groups of people, particularly different groups of people. And Star Wars is how does the individual experience uh, these concepts like good and evil? How do they experience loss? How do they experience fear and conquering that fear and heroism? Um, and that's, you know, if you want to get, there's another way to be reductive is Star Wars is about the individual, Star Trek is about the community, but it's more the orientation of where you focus on the show. Sure. Focus the yeah, no. Yeah. The, the greatest threat to the empire is the spreading of compassion and empathy because then, yes. uh, then, then people are not seen as cattle anymore to be, to be, to be ridden over and to be, uh, to, to be lauded over by, by the empire. So that's why what you picked up in that, in that, uh, trailer, Josh, I think is very perceptive because I think that is the greatest threat to the empire. Uh, yeah. And if you think about it, the thing that ultimately overthrows the empire is one small act of compassion. When Vader sees that the emperor is about to kill his son and he decides to intervene yes. and he, he, he does something about it. He, he says, no, I'm not going to let you do this. And that small act of compassion from a man who has done very many bad things <laughs> literally overthrew an empire and you see and that and the feeling we get from that moment like i'm feeling it right now it's like oh that's there, there's an intensity there that is really uh uh really strong in star wars is that that's another word you use you get an intensity of experience an intensity of emotion you connect with it you're excited you know it, it can it, it can make you feel star trek i would wait for those moments whether they were the sure. action moments uh, you know, you'd wait for those episodes. Okay, they're finally going to have a space battle. As a kid, that's what you wanted to see all right, the time. Right, right, right. That's why as a kid, you love right. Star Wars because there are a lot of space battles. But finally, when you got to see the Enterprise do, you know, duke it out with the Klingons, and, yeah. and you get some satisfaction because by next generation, they had pretty good special effects, but they could only afford to do it, you know, two, three times a season. So you're waiting for that, you know, big episode um, where that where something like that would happen. And I think that's why you see a little bit of convergence in that regard now to where Star Trek has the budget and the technology to have those large scale, scale battles. So it's not something that's unique to Star Wars anymore. Same as Star Wars is now on television and you're seeing them get very much into these uh, uh, more, you know, slightly more cerebral stories uh, yeah. that you otherwise wouldn't have, have had before. And I got to give a lot of credit to, you know, things like Clone Wars, you know, the, the shows that have come out in the past where they did go down those roads more. And when you mentioned the topic of this, podcast to me. I took down some notes. I was writing and all of a sudden I found myself doing something really weird. It was supposed to be Star Trek sort of versus Star Wars. And in my notes, there were more commonalities all of a sudden. Mm. I was thinking to myself, that's not how I thought this would go. Right. Right. Interesting. I mean, once again, I think, you know, you're talking about those sort of visceral moments that Star Wars has. Star Trek would occasionally have them. Like I'm thinking occasionally you would have like a best of both worlds kind of event where the things that are happening, you really feel in a visceral way. And it, it seems like it has the epic scale and the scope. You know, it's funny, like uh, the Battle of Wolf 359 in Star Trek lore is this huge, massive event. And then, you know, when you go back and you watch the best of both worlds, which again, I think is one of the heights of not only Star Trek, but television in general, or those two hours. When you go back and you watch it, you don't see the battle. 
<laughs> no, you don't. You don't. You don't see the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine. Yeah. Um, Star Wars is more passionate, where Star Trek is more patience. But for me, the biggest holy shit moment in Star Trek history, and so because it would happen once in a while, was at the end of the Dominion War, when Mister Wolf snaps um, Dalron's neck, and he effectively yeah. becomes the uh, the uh, the head of the of the Empire. I for jumped a few up minutes there. Yeah, I jumped off the living room table when that happened because Wolf is my favorite character in Star Trek. Yeah, Wolf is. It was it was my favorite moment in all of Star Trek history. So it's there, but it's there in in in, in you know it's uh, a modicum. It's not it's not 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 as uh, right. prevalent as in Star Star Wars. But, right. Yeah. So, but I mean, again, I keep on harping on this, but Star Wars is larger than life. It's a movie, and you know, movies are. I mean, at least they used to be, you know, on a big screen. When you have a shot of an actor on a cinema screen, it's literally larger than life. And the emotions and those events are larger than life. Whereas Star Wars lived in, you know, 13, 17, 20-inch TV screens. For, sometimes in black um, and white. <laughs> sometimes in black and white. Yes, exactly. So that, to me, once again, like you said, John, you know, the medium is the message, I yes. think. And the interesting thing also that is happening now, the way that, uh, they're sort of uh, converging in terms of what Star Wars is doing with their TV series and what Star Trek is doing with their TV series. I think what you're seeing also is not just the technology, but also the convergence, the blurring of the line between those two forms. TV is becoming more cinematic and films are becoming more like episodes of a TV series in certain ways. So, so I think it all, I think it all sort of, it all sort of tracks. Something that, I, that, I thought was really important to recognize about Star Trek and the recent controversies around Star Wars um, is that from the beginning, Star Trek had a purpose, which I've been looking for another word. So if either of you have it, I'd love an alternative word because it's not political. That doesn't feel like it's the accurate word for it, but it had a philosophical or philosophical political purpose behind it. How about relevant? relevant, um, very human. Uh, uh, and, you know, so, you know, Gene Roddenberry makes it very clear from the beginning, you know, there's the elevator pitch for the executives, which he uses almost as a cover. It's a wagon train for stars. And then he tells you what it's really about, the optimistic vision of the future. But what does that include? Um, you know, the idea at the core of it to him was diversity, diversity of people, of the uh, life forms you're going to encounter in the galaxy ways of thinking, ways of living. Um, and, you know, that's that quote from him, which is, you know, about diversity, something to the effect of, you know, uh, uh, we will find, you know, something about it would be impossible to fear diversity and the future at the same time. And they sort of go hand in hand. Mm. And he very much had a message behind this series that was, you know, more than, more than just uh, um, one story. It was, here's repeatedly how human beings can be the best versions of themselves and stumble along the way to that, to that path. And what we see today, which is really interesting is that, and everybody has a recollection of what the shows they loved as a kid were. And you see a lot of people reacting to Star Trek in the modern shows saying, well, why are they pushing the envelope and making me feel uncomfortable? They didn't have these kinds of characters. And, th- and that's most exemplified by some of the backlash and discovery to the trans characters uh, introduced right. in seasons. Uh, um, three, and and they said, oh, but you know, you're ruining my my childhood Star Trek. And I want to say, 
Star Trek was the first show to have an interracial kiss on network television broadcast in the entire country, almost sacrificing, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a huge amount of viewership as a result. And it, it shaped an entire way of thinking. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. pleaded with Michelle Nichols, stay on this show. The impact yeah, they're having is something. real and profound. She went on to dramatically shape NASA and the space program and, and, the, and inspire women and black women to become astronauts. That is something absolutely, you know, astonishing to think about that a TV show would have that level of influence. And on the flip side, you have uh, uh, debates around Star Wars right now and the episodes, uh, you know, seven through nine, where there was controversy over a female lead as the, as the, as, 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 as the hero of the story. And a, lot and of a black stormtrooper. You know, and that's where we got to talk about the, the more toxic elements of fandom, but that that was that that was a debate saying, well, Star Wars didn't start off with that goal, but but they do have you know they're trying to expand out of that. Where Star Trek was always that trying to push the envelope, make you feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and and that's probably the greatest difference is that one had an intention to take you out of your comfort zone. No, one hundred percent. You know, it's so funny whenever I read or hear somebody complaining about something to the effect of what you just said about, like, you know, like stop making Star Trek political or stop making Star Wars political. I want to be like, it was always political. It's just that when you were a kid, it went over your head. Yeah, yeah. I also think that if Star Trek is doing its job right, you should feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, the idea that Star Trek is supposed to make you feel good, you personally feel good, that's not what it's about. What Star Trek is about is, like Joe said, is about holding up a mirror and seeing what you see in it. And maybe there are some things in there that you don't like and you have to reckon with that. And I think that Star Trek in particular, new Star Trek, is doing what the best Star Trek has always done. And, you know, same with Star Wars. Like, I think all of those ridiculous controversies about the sequels. Even yesterday I was reading, and this is the vocal minority, but I was reading reaction to a Ewan McGregor quote about Obi-Wan, about how here when we find Obi-Wan, he's he's kind of defeated, he's given up, he's a bit of a broken man. And I, I read a tweet that was like, how come all our our franchises have to depict all of the men as broken shells. Like, you know, why can't they be heroes anymore? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, what are we doing? Like, you really have to be looking at the world through a very warped lens to to see that. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I think that but that's what you say is, that, you know, all fans see things through a lens. Or we see it through our own lenses, but we, we, we put these things onto it. And Star Wars is very much because it's a visceral experience, because it's, it's, it's been going on, but it's something you really experience in your heart, um, that it, uh, it's also how we relate to it. So our responses to it are, are, are very emotional. So it always surprises me when somebody has that uh, interaction with the Star Trek, they'll say, hey, didn't you experience it as the more cerebral thing where it was pushing your boundaries and making you think about yeah. something? Because no problem. countless episodes were just something where even even the main cast member, they weren't broken, but Captain Kirk would be there in the Enterprise, questioning himself a little bit. Did I yes, make the right exactly. call? Exactly. That, that exactly. Here it is. Yeah, it's it's the future. We're all supposed to be better, but he's still learning. He's still like, hey, maybe that maybe I have something to take away from this new experience, which again is the purpose of new worlds and and new life forms. Um, and you see, it's but instead of focusing and obsessing on the doubt, 
they cover the doubt and then the growth from that. So that's, and, and that's where you sort of end up comfortable again, as you say, okay, well, the, 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 the crew members of the enterprise face adversity. Maybe they realized they were wrong about something or that they didn't have what they needed to understand it. Uh, and now they do. And that, of course, that was Joe's first mention of the first episode that he was recalling. Right. You thought it was just an alien. No, it's somebody, it was a creature trying to protect their offspring and they learned from that and grew. And that's, that's Star Trek at its best. Uh, and interestingly, I think Star Wars is going in that direction because that's what makes a good TV story. So you're seeing that a little bit more in some of their stories as the, the characters have to grow. The Mandalorian starts at one point and even by the end of the first season is not the same in terms of worldview and has learned to grow. And it's funny to see fans get a little uncomfortable with somebody they think is just supposed to be a kick-ass character, always right, always the good guy, always winning, uh, uh, to have to face that maybe even what made them who they are, the, the tenets and beliefs of the man, you know, of Mandalore aren't entirely in line with right or good. And that's, that's something cool. That's something cool to watch. And, and that, and that's why I'm excited for more Star Wars as, as it, as it comes out, because I think we're going to see, uh, some stories that, you know, of that type. Um, but what, yeah, what, watching the fans react to Star Trek in a way today where they question what it's doing is like, why, why are they pushing diversity so much? It's like, that was that was the point, man. That was the that was point. the point. Was day the one, premise. that was the whole premise of the series. <laughs> yeah, day one. I mean, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That's, I mean, mm -hmm. it's amazing to me how many Star Trek fans forget that. Granted, that whole medallion thing was a ploy on Gene Roddenberry's part for the merchandising to sell through his his Norway enterprises. But that aside, <laughs> the underlying message is sound. <laughs> Any final thoughts? I really think we covered a lot of ground. Okay, but I still want to know who won the I, fight. I, I have one final thought. Enterprise or is it Star Destroyer? I mean, the Enterprise. <laughs> I, I have one final thought. I always like to, when we do these things, I like to, to look for quotes. Oh, and, yes. Uh, that, that, will, that will somehow sum up what, they, what these series are about. And I think I found one for Star Trek and one for Star Wars. I love it. And uh, my Star Trek quote is, make it so. <laughs> and my Star Wars quote is, I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I just want to close with a Star Trek, Star Wars connection that I learned only very recently. And it blew my, my head wide open uh, when I discovered this. So um, Richard Edland, who did visual effects for the first Star Wars, he shot a lot of the models and he worked on Empire and Jedi. He worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark. His first job was in 1965 at the Westheimer Company, where the first project he was assigned to professionally was Star Trek. And he recalled years later what his duties entailed. Mostly what I was doing was beaming guys in and out, though I did rotoscope the original Enterprise for the opening credits. It was the only Enterprise flyby they had for at least the first season, and they used it over and over and over again, speeding it up, flopping it left or right. And the other thing that he did, he did the title design, the uh, the typeface for the opening credits in in Star Trek. He created that sort of slanted Star Trek, I guess you call it a font now. Oh, it's cool. Amazing. Yeah. So how about this? It's not a debate. It's not a rivalry. It's a conversation between right. two worlds. How about that? Yes. The human adventure continues. The human adventure continues. I like <laughs> that. I like that very much. <laughs> 
Well, I want to thank my guests, John and Joe. And if you like what you heard here, uh, you can hear similar conversations actually on our cousin podcast, The Secret Origins of Mint Condition, of which Joe is a co-host. Joe, where can we find that show if we want to take a listen? Actually, James can put this better than I can with my lack of computer knowledge. But if you can find us on our Facebook group, Instagram page, and of course on Spotify. You know how I find things is that I just Google them. I was going to say, if you Google Secret Origins of Mint Condition, it will come up. Um, it will come up, yes. I want to thank both of you for joining me on this discussion. I really, really enjoyed the hell out of it. And if you guys in the audience, if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. You can visit TrashComPod.com and rate and review us there. And we are TrashComPod across all social media. And we will see you on the next one.